On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Sue just got back from New York where she's working on a documentary. And although she grew up there, she says the city now completely exhausts her. I had to talk to my therapist. Yes, I did. After the Dodgers lost. And comic Frankie Quinones joins us to talk about his show, This Fool on Hulu. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com. And do us a favor, take a minute, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. And coming up for you on the show today, got a great guest, Frankie Quinones from uh, This Fool, which is just one of the funniest damn shows on TV right now. Sue, you just got back from New York. What what was life like in New York? Uh, Insane. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just, you know, I, I love going to New York. I love going to New York because I love to walk through the city and I love uh, there's always new restaurants that I've never been to. Right. I didn't get to see any shows because I was only in the city for like two and a half days shooting this documentary that we've been talking about, about Silver Saunders Friedman, who used to, who, who, uh, owned the improv. She right. was the, uh, the, uh, her husband was the co-owner and she got the New York club and he got the LA club. And then he, you know, it blew up and franchised and she just kept just the New York club. And yeah ended up closing in 1993 i believe anyway but it's just you know being in new york it's always nostalgic i'm from there but it's just different it's just it's just so much work being in new york yeah just everywhere you go there's just so many people and people bump into you and and it's it's just it's like being in a video game it's too much is it too much it's it's too much it's yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, but, but it, it was, it was great being there. I got to see because we were shooting interviews for this documentary about the improv. I got to see a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And then there's the bonus of meeting people that I've been fans of, you know, most of my life. Like we interviewed Donna McKechnie, who played Cassie, the lead in the original A Chorus Line. She originated right. the role. What I did for love. Uh, just yeah and and you know she's 80 years old wow and she looks phenomenal and she's still touring she was going to london uh, i guess in a couple of days after we saw her she's actually going to be coming out here and uh performing what is it the Cal- the catalina club i think it's called or mm, the Ca- i don't think i know I, it but uh yeah it's it yeah i think it's somewhere in in hollywood or west hollywood so she's going to be performing there um so i'm excited to see her but um so that's who else the, did you it, talk to? There are people that you don't know. There's a woman named Nancy Shane who uh, has, you know, done a bunch of stuff off Broadway. She was in, I don't know if she was in, she may have, have done a guest role in Sex in the City, but uh, she was in the first or second episode of uh, the new Sex in the City. Okay. Uh, got just it. like that. And just like that. 
So she was in that. She's got a brand new show actually coming out that she was doing a reading of, and I just missed seeing it, and it's all about dogs. Oh, no. I know. So bummed I wasn't going to see it. Yeah. Um, and when's and, the documentary uh, come out? Have you? Uh, I have don't you, know. Do you have a release date? We, we don't, we're, you know, we, we have a little more to shoot. I was joking, by the way. I know there's not a release. release, Yeah. Well, well, a lot of people do, you know, a lot of, a lot of people do ask me that question. So, um, the, the, uh, the guy that I'm working with on it, who's uh, shooting it, he's an editor as well. He's a filmmaker, but he's an editor as well. So, oh, you know who we had on the show? The, um, the guy who parachuted into Shea Stadium, um, Mike Sergio. Wow. During the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. He He's a singer. And he opened the show a lot at the improv back in the day when I was performing there. Because that's that, you know, the, the club started as kind of like a coffee house improv room. And it was all types of performers. And then it morphed into a stand-up club. And the only thing that was retained from the original day was the show always opened with a singer. Mm. Wow. So he was one of those. So uh, That's cool. so we interviewed him and uh and then a, a couple of other uh people that uh that that you wouldn't know. So Sue, since we last talked, I I have gone through just hell. I'm wearing my Dodgers t-shirt right now. It was a terrible terrible Saturday for me. Uh when the Dodgers exited the playoffs and honestly, I was inconsolable for a day i I mean like you couldn't say anything to me because i was so you know so you just went through this with the mets i immediately had an emergency shrink uh call on not monday he couldn't do monday but he did tuesday so i did an emergency shrink call have you ever gotten to that point where you have to do an emergency shrink call no it's never ever gotten to that point First of all, I'm so used to it with the mess that you know how much money it would have cost me over the years if I had to go to therapy because of the Mets. It, and, and you know, it, it was different with the Dodgers because I it was it this this really shocked me because the Padres, they are definitely a team to be reckoned with. Yep. Their relief pitching is is second to none. If you don't score early in the game. And you fall behind to the Padres, you're not getting anything from them from the bullpen. They are really, really tough. But what I want to ask you, because it was a question, I had posted something. I think I wrote, it's all over now, Dodger Blue, after yeah, the, yeah. the final game. And uh, the question was posed, why did um, Roberts put in who he put in? How? And, and I thought, why didn't he put Phillips in? Why didn't he go with somebody whose whose role basically yeah. was for for that moment? And then the other question was, and I said I was going to ask you about it, and mm-hmm. then Robert Wall um, chimed in and and maybe answered it. But um, how much of those decisions? Because because Roberts has kind of been known to make some moves, some dubious moves when it comes to keeping pitch, pitchers in too long. And then removing them too quick. Yes. So, um, how much of it is Roberts and how much of it is the front office? 
Uh, who's who's calling those shots? So that is an eternal question. I watched mm. Andrew Friedman at a press conference the other day. He said, I can't believe this is still a narrative. I told you over and over again, Dave Roberts has complete autonomy in the dugout. And it just doesn't pass the reality test. I mean, the way teams run now, the front office is very, very involved in coming up with a script that the manager will execute. Now, the manager plays a role in the creation. Of, he's in the room while they're saying, all right, so we're going to go to this guy here. We're going to go to that guy there. We like this matchup here. It's his job to execute the plan. But the plan was at least collaborated on with Dave Roberts and Andrew Friedman. So I I think it's a combination of the two because I think they've got some predetermined matchups that they really like. Uh, but in the end, and and I total and I've actually been on the air saying this that sixth inning. I I don't know why they didn't after uh, Tommy Canley got in trouble. Why they didn't go to Evan Phillips, who was their cleanup, their their tough high leverage guy all year long. Didn't understand it, but. In the end, they didn't lose because of their pitching. They lost because at one stretch, they were 0 for 19 with runners in scoring position. If you can't yes. clutch out runs like that, then you don't, yes. you don't deserve to win. And was the team sleepy? Yes, I think probably because the last half of September, uh, they had already clinched, and so... Uh, you know, they were just kind of messing around and playing out the string, as they say, playing out the strings. Uh, and I think they got to the postseason. They had that buy. And then I think they're missing like that emotional, that Kike Hernandez or that Jock Peterson or that grit guy that they've had in the past that have helped them to uh, to win World Series. Well, only one World Series helped them to win one World Series in 10 years. Uh, but at least to get there a couple of more times. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was the hitting. Everybody's everybody's on the pitching, but I I really do think it was the the hitting and pretty pretty oh, clearly. I, oh yeah, I mean, you know, they left you know bases loaded. Why? What did Robert Wall say? He believes that it comes from up above. Yeah, I mean, it it in part does. It in part and, does. and and I and I and I truly believe that it's a combination. That's my take on it for someone who's you know. As much as I know about baseball, which I think I know a lot, you do. But but I think that I think it's a combination, uh, you know, because even even the greatest showrunner, you know, gets gets something from the network. Yeah, you know, right. they just do. I mean, Larry David may be the only person in the world who has carte blanche to do what. Yeah, I don't think anybody gives Larry and, notes. And, and and the same thing with Louis C.K. when he had his show. Mm-hmm. No, he actually flat out said. You give me notes, I walk. <laughs> I don't need this show. I have enough money to live the rest of my life. Right. I don't need it. So if you're going to interfere creatively, I'm not going to be here anymore. Anyway, so yeah, it was it was super disappointing. And uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, who who do you think is is going to the World Series? You know, here's the here's the thing. I'll tell you, Sue. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking care when. Oh. The Dodgers leave the playoffs. I stop watching baseball. Really? In fact, yesterday in the studio, the Padres Phillies game was on the screens. And I asked our producer to turn 
the the screen in front of me to Sports Center. I I can't even I don't even want it in the background. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to look at it. Hmm. It's just too painful. And by the way, my shrink said that's, that's probably the best thing for me. <laughs> I told a friend of mine. Yeah. That oh, you met him, Sal. Yeah. He was my old. Oh yeah, yeah, I know partner. Sal. Okay. Yeah, Sidra's husband. And uh, I told him <laughs> that you actually talked to your therapist about that, and he was like, "Classic." Oh man, he just <laughs>, laughed so hard. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't do it, but but I understand it because Tom was walking the dog the uh, during the wild card series. I think it was the last game. Yeah, and 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 he heard me down the street yelling fuck and like screaming at the tv and he comes inside and he says i can hear you down the street <laughs> so i get i get real wrapped up and i get emotional and i'm i'm in a bad mood you know i'm in a bad mood when they lose during the regular season yeah you are i you you are you're still writing for your uh your mets Mets website, right mesmerize yeah mesmerize yeah mesmerize yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of stopped for a while and then this year I started writing again. I missed a bunch of, I missed a bunch of games just because I was so busy. I just couldn't do it, but, uh, I'll probably write about the world series. I, cause just, just because I like writing about baseball. Yeah. 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 I can't even look at baseball. I can't stand to look at it. By the way, I'm in the weirdest setup today. So we were having technical stuff. So I am, let me see if I can describe this. So I'm sitting on this little tiny, stool uh and then i've got the computer on the bed and i've got the microphone on the bed and i've got the window i've got sun on just one side of my face uh this is the worst (laughs) broadcast setup i've ever had but you know what we will soldier on sue we will soldier on uh and our guest today ah this is so good He's a stand-up comic, actor, and creator who's starring in the hilarious show This Fool on on Hulu. He is a sketch guy, was a regular on Dress Up Game on TBS, plus he tours the country as a stand-up comic and has a popular podcast. Frankie Quinones is here. Frankie, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, no. Thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it, man. So so I watched all of this, Fool. It is so <laughs> damn funny. You are really, really funny in it. Um, you, you co-star with Chris Estrada, who's also a creator of the show. Are you guys friends, uh, uh, like off camera? Yeah, yeah. We've actually been friends for about, uh, man, going on 10 years now. Uh, he was uh, touring with me. After some of my like character work went viral, I was able to hit the road and get some weekends at comedy clubs. And he was my opener for probably over four years. And during that time, he started working on the show. And yeah, it all, all kind of worked out. <laughs> Did he write it for you? Yeah, he wrote it along with three other friends. And then, uh, you know, there was a couple other writers that they brought into the room as the season went on. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was kind of cool because... He was, uh, like for the part of Luis, they, they kind of envision a bigger, tougher, more on the nose looking dude that was going to be a lot bigger than Chris and big tatted up dude. And they couldn't find that dude. So they started having me read for the part. And then they were kind of like, Oh, dang, this kind of brings a Joe Pesci vibe. Like he's a, he's a little homie. <laughs> Cause I'm a little homie, you know, he's like, he's a little homie, but he's kind of a loose cannon and unpredictable. Like, and so, uh, yeah, it, it worked out for me on that end. <laughs> 
I love that you brought up Joe Pesci because that's exactly what I thought of when I watched you. Oh, really? Uh, oh, that's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> and what I love about your relationship with Julio, you're, you're kind of like, like Wiley Coyote in the Roadrunner. Especially, right, 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 yeah. especially in the beginning episodes when you're trying to do your thing and he's trying to stop you and you're trying to stop him. It really is a really, really fun chemistry between the two of the, uh, between the two of you. Oh, right on, right on. Thank you. Yeah. It's funny. Cause, uh, you know, off, off the camera, we're kind of, uh, we're kind of, our relationship is that kind of real life, you know, it's very, resembles it very closely. So, you know, the, ca- even the cast members are like, dude, these guys are like, cause we're constantly talking smack to each other. And you know what I mean? That, that's just kind of always been our relationship. And luckily that, that kind of translated to the, to the camera. So I read the, uh, the story that, uh, this is sort of based on Chris's life and that he has a cousin and now you're playing the cousin. And I'm curious, like what, what does the cousin think? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's all about it, man. He's cool. I I was a little nervous to meet him, but, (laughs) and uh, you know, Chris, uh, Chris knows like like all my cousins too. So, uh, you know, we kind of, we kind of all have a cousin like a Luis, uh, but his, his cousin, he has a cousin named Luis, you know, and he lives in, in TJ actually. So I've only met him like via FaceTime and stuff. Uh, but I hope to go down there and meet him in person one day. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was a good spar man. He was like, what's up? You know, like, uh, <laughs> so I was like, all right, we're cool. We're cool. All right. <laughs> what, what I love about the show is that, you know, as an outsider to that world, I only see kind of the horrific part of that world, the gang world. Right, and, right. And, and I, and I do think that within every, with, within every world, whether you're, you know, Pablo Escobar or whatever, there is levity. There's always going to be levity. And I, and I think that what you guys do, you do brilliantly. Like there are things like when I was watching one of the episodes with the little kid and he was a theater guy and he (laughs) was like so excited that it was going to be West Side Story. And just the way he's dressed, he looks just like a young Bernardo. (laughs) And uh, he's and then you see him snapping his fingers when he when he gets to that scene where he sees the fight break out. I mean, it was really, really smart. And really, really hysterical. Oh, oh, right on. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That kid. Oh, man. He was, I, I, we knew he was going to be good, but man, once the camera started rolling, he just nailed it, you know, and just like, you know, I want a knife. I want to feel it. You know, it's just like, oh, he has so many quotes, you know, people love that episode. And then, uh, yeah, what you say on your end, like the whole, uh, you know, people just know like the, the gang life side of it or whatever. They don't know the levity of it. Um, it was that that was something I really had, I tapped into, like the, the the character of Luis, because I've I ha- I've had cousins where or you know homies even like growing up where it's like you know you you spend a whole day laughing with them at a barbecue and having a great time and they're so funny and so likable and then the next day you hear that they're in a high speed chase you know and that now they're going away for six months and it's like wait what like you know. <laughs> But like that's real life, you know. And it's, it's sometimes it's the nicest guys that get in the most trouble in those in those environments, you know. So it was kind of fun to tap into that. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your family like growing up? Where'd you grow up? Uh, were Were you always funny? Uh, yeah, I was kind of always class clown. So I was born in uh, San Fernando. We lived there when I was young, but I, I mostly grew up in Ventura County, which is like an hour north. Uh, my, my mom and dad are both uh, uh, born and raised in Oxnard. We got family in the valley, and my dad worked there. 
a lot when I was young. So we, we lived out there and that's, that's when they had me. And then, uh, um, but yeah, yeah. My grandfather, he came, uh, his brother, they came from Zacatecas, Mexico. And, um, and, um, they came to Pacoima and Oxnard. And those are the two, uh, main cities that my family's at. Now we're all spread out. You know, we got a lot of babies and all that stuff, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what but, Spanish uh, family, a lot of babies. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But my dad, uh, you know, he was, he was born here and he, he just was, he, he was an old school cholo, you know, but one of the most positive people I know, but always had a low rider, always wearing Dickies, Chuck Taylors, uh, white tee, very well dressed though. Like oh, pants always creased. Why, even when you wore a white tee, it would always be creased down the middle, tucked in. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But w one of the most, he just represented that culture, you know, and his best friend was my, my godfather baptized me and, uh, he was president of a low rider car club for like 30 years. So I was always in that environment, but kind of the positive side of it, you know, cause, uh, you get in places like that, like, especially people are so into their cars. They're just, they don't want to fight. They're just like, look at my ride, you know, like it's so all the cool things I did do it. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a fun, fun growing up. And then, uh, my mom, my mom's, my mom's more of the funny one. She's like, just, she's a firecracker, you know, and super funny and stuff like that. But yeah, I was, I was kind of always class clown, always getting in trouble. And the, but they always had stand up comedy on in the house and old school funk music and all, all kind of music, rock music. Like just those vibes were, were always a part of my, part of my life growing up. So you use the word cholo and I am a white guy in West Los Angeles. Um, I, what, <laughs> what does the word mean? Is it okay for me to use it under what circumstances can I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm dumb. I'm, I'm dumb, Frankie. What, tell me. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's a few theories like where the, where the word actually came from. There's a couple of cool like YouTube videos that kind of, you know, but it's there's a there's just a few different theories but you know it's associated with with like gang culture and stuff like that but now I, it, to me it's kind of like evolved into this whole like subculture of like you know you could still rep that style in in certain manners and and you know it's not like gang affiliated or nothing like that it's just a whole like uh, it's a style you know what i mean which is kind of fu it's funny because i've been to like japan and tokyo and and uh you know same place but uh you know there, there's like these these uh these groups of people that embrace the culture they're not gangbangers or nothing but they have like low riders the tattoos you know the mustaches it's super interesting man even like in thailand vietnam they have all these like cholo like uh like groups and stuff it's <laughs> it's kind of funny but um but yeah yeah i would say like it's 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 just that culture man like low riders you know the dickies the pendletons uh, uh, you know, which is like the fa flannel button up shirts and, yep. and stuff like that. And, you know, so, you know, like to, my dad was, was always representing that style, but like he, I went through my little like wannabe cholo stage growing up and, and he, he would wake me up at like five 30 in the morning and make me crease my pants. He's like, my mom was like, you're not dressing like a cholo, you know? And then <laughs> my dad was like, no, nah, no, nah, if he's going to let him, but if he's going to do it, he's going to do it right. Um, and he made me, got, got me up early, made me crease my pants, but I was like, oh man, I was tired of getting up early. And then I was doing it to try to fit in with my cousins and homies and stuff like that. And then also for a girl, I was like, oh, you know, cause I was trying to holler at a chola, you know, she's like, you know, what's up, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, I want to be down with you. And, uh, but then I got, I got like about two, three months into it. I got beat up, uh, you know, so, so I switched back to a uh, cargo shorts and bugle boy jeans, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, now, now it's gotten better. That was in the nineties when gang gang culture was was you know it was thriving you know and and so now i feel like it's evolved like it like that whole cholo culture is like something that's you know it's like getting art like it's it's like a 
like artists and all this stuff, like painting, uh, painting all these pictures, photographers, you know, all this stuff that, that reps the the culture in a, in a positive light. So I think it's kind of (laughs) cool. So, so growing up, um, was there ever a time where you could have been pulled into the darker side of it or, uh, you were very protected with your family and, and maybe just your, your sense. I mean, what could you have been? And, and if you, cause it, sometimes when, when you grow up around that, like I, I mean, I, I think of like, you know, like the mob, you know, if you grew up around it and you maybe didn't want to be a part of it, um, that would kind of work against you. Cause it's like, no, you have to. So what, right, what right. do you relate to that, that question? Yeah. Well, my, my, I had like a, I've had like a, like on that, I always had guidance, you know, like my mom and dad are still married, you know, they, they, they were, I was, I'm grateful that they were just all about their kids. And I'm not saying that, you know, my other uncles and aunts and all that weren't about their kids. They're, they're all pretty good people. And then, but my mom and dad were like, drill it into my head, you know, like stay out of there. And they, and, you know, we even moved to a little, like we, we, we moved to a cul-de-sac where those white people and, you know, they, but I was always around the, uh, that environment. It's just what my family was. And I have friends and relatives whose parents were in a gang and now they're in a gang, like on that, you know, you're talking about, but my mom and dad were like very strict, you know, they were super fun and people, but it was like super important to them that I didn't get involved in that. And, you know, I did get, you know, when I did get beat up, I was like, oh, you know, I got, I still have this scar right here to remind me, you know, I got like 12 staples in my head and like, uh, I was, I was only like 12 years old. So I'm glad that it happened at that young age. I was like, oh, uh, I don't know. I think I want to be an artist instead, you know, but, (laughs) 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 but, um, but even my cousins and, uh, you know, I got, we have, I have a lot of cousins and some of them, some of us are pretty close in age. So we were like, grew up like brothers and there was some that are straight up gang members, but uh, when I was younger, they, they would kind of test me like, oh, are you down? And then, but then they were like almost protecting me and kind of pushed me away from that. They're like, you know, like this isn't for you, you know, like stick to the books, you know, if you have any problems, we got you like go out there. Like they almost felt like, Hey man, you're going to do something other than this. And, and, um, and I'm grateful for that because, you know, that, that not only my parents helped guide me, but even my cousins that were gang members were like, no, man, this isn't for you. You know? So, uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of was like, I just always had guided, good guidance and, and a lot of love. So I'm grateful for that. <laughs> so I, you know, I watched so much of your standup to get ready for the, your standup is unbelievable. It is so entertaining. Um, wh- when did you first get on stage? Where, where, where'd that come from? That, that burst that said, yeah, I, I, I belong up here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, man. It's like what I took growing up, like I told you, my, when my mom and dad were going through tough times and they would watch a uh, stand up and I'll say, I was very fascinated of how, how it got them through that and, and how powerful like humor was. Even as a kid, they were letting me watch like Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, George Carlin, uh, Paul Rodriguez and, you know, all these, all these, uh, uh, people. And, you know, they, they used to go when they were dating, they would go to the comedy store and the improv. And so they got stories, you know, and so, you know, I just was always, I would even try to do shows for them. Like I found a sprinkler head in my dad's work truck and, uh, and I would use it as a microphone and like do little shows for them in the living room. And then they would kind of roll their eyes and be like, all right, what do you got? And, uh, I would do my little <laughs> cheesy stuff. And so I kind of always knew I wanted to do it. And then, uh, when I was about, uh, I think it was 1920, I moved, I moved up to San Francisco and I lived there for about almost 15 years, you know, but so I didn't start comedy until I was already living there for a while. I was living with a cousin of mine and, um, 
And uh, I, I went to the Brainwash Cafe, which was in the Soma district of San Francisco. It was the, at the time it was the longest running open mic. It was going for like 20 years. And it's a laundry mat that has a stage. And, you know, Robin Williams would pop in there. Um, you know, Dana Carvey, like all, all these wow. old school guys. And, um, and that was the first place I did it. And I was, you know, I was so nervous. I had to get drunk, like wasted. And I was working, I was working at a hardware store and then like a shipping and receiving doing pallets. And I would go right after work, race over to this brainwash cafe, sign up, wait for two and a half hours. It'd be like maybe six people there, 10, if you're lucky. And then, you know, I was doing, you know, diarrhea and sex jokes and the low hanging fruit, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I knew that the first time I got on, I, I I was funny. I made people laugh. So I was like, all right, let me, let me stick with this. And now that was uh 16 years ago. So yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of just stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, that's the the staying power. I did stand up for like thirty years, and uh, you know, it's the staying power. It's those yeah. late, it's those late nights, and you know, very few people, and it it really is this survival of the fittest. Because there were people that I remember when I first started who uh, dropped out. They just couldn't hack it, and uh, you know, it's just a testament to uh, you know how how badly you want it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always like around four years, I would say four or five years in is when you see people start to like, ah, you know what? Maybe this is because, you know, you realize it's a marathon, but I genuinely was like, oh, no, I'm, this is why I'm here on this earth is to do this because I could be the most insecure person in other areas of my life. You know, I was sleeping on my homie's couch. I was like 35, still chasing this thing. And I was like, it might not happen, but at least I'm, I can't stop doing this. I'm, this is what I'm here for. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it worked out. <laughs> so you do a bit in your stand-up where you talk about the kid in your neighborhood who got the fancy uh, butterfly net. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, this is I, as I heard it, I was like, you know, I forgot about this. But when I was a little kid, I would catch bugs. I would put them in some weird solution and then I would pin them to like this piece of cork board. So I had all these <laughs> bugs. I was like, what a what a little friggin' nerd I was. Uh, doing doing that sort of stuff. The makings right. of a serial killer. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Yeah. So, what's right. it like out there now doing doing stand up? You're you're still in the clubs post pandemic. What's stand up like? Oh man, it was good. I, it was such a relief to just get back out there, and uh, I was uh, able to move some tickets because some of my character work, you know, went viral, creeper with the cholo fit and stuff like that. So I I was already touring before pandemic and. Actually, and then a buddy of mine, Craig Robinson, who you know from the office, sure. Hot Tub Time Machine, all that. He he took me under his wing. Maybe about uh, I was touring with him over six years, you know. So that was like my first big break, kind of. But during that time, um, you know, Cholo Fit went viral. Me and some friends sold the show to TBS, and and that was when things started to to change for me. Um, but yeah, man, uh, 2020 was like, you know, for that January, February, it was like the busiest year ever. I was like, this is it, baby. This is the year. Uh, but yeah, obviously that didn't work out. So I was like, oh man. And then, uh, and then, you know, doing the zoom shows, I was just like, oh gosh, you know, and I was, cause I was living by living by myself. I don't do well by myself. And so I went through a little dark time as a lot of us did, but I remember like get, getting all excited for a zoom show and trying to put your energy into this little box. Like, Hey, yeah. And then all of a sudden the show would be over and I'd flip my laptop closed and then I'll just be alone staring at the walls. Like, oh, okay, I guess that was cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I was like, well, man, I was dying for things to get back open. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been great, man. And then now, you know, I'm touring with the, with this full being out on, on Hulu. And then, so people come cause they know me from the character work. And now they're with that extra layer of, 
this full. And uh, it, it's been great, man. It's been fun. And just going around and hearing people's reactions to to the show, you know, they're like coding episodes and it's, 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 it's cool, man. It's, it's really fun. And people seem to, to love the show. So it's like, it's, it's fun to be, I'm grateful for any work, but to be part of this show is like, it's good, you know? And so, um, sometimes we don't ever always get that opportunity, you know, sometimes you're on a show like, ah, this is good, but okay. Thank you for the work. And this one's like so close to home. It's my family. It's how we grew up. And it's just like, and I feel like we we nailed the authenticity of it and it feels really grounded, but also like crazy and kind of weird. And it's everything I love. <laughs> so I'm super pumped on it. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the writers, they don't they don't miss a beat. I mean, you know, that that little storyline with the toilet paper and and uh, trading for, you know, you traded for cigarettes for the toilet paper, you know, yeah. such a, such a, like a prison <laughs> thing, which was so funny. Yeah. And me. You know, years ago, I wrote on Sex in the City and we did a storyline with the Rabbit Pearl verb vibrator. And All right. So when, <laughs> when, when, uh, Julio's girlfriend is looking for her rabbit and finds the rabbit vibrator in the couch, it was like, Oh no, not that rabbit. I mean, it's just really, again, I mean, just really smart, smart, funny writing. Oh, yeah. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those guys are great, man. And, you know, they they always like let me chime in and see what's going on. And, you know, I'm writing a couple other things and then it's good to just, you know, we spitball with each other and then like with ideas or punch up the punch up the lines or whatever it is. They always kind of let me do my thing. But um, yeah, those guys, Matt, Matt Ingelbrenson, Pat Bishop, Jake Weissman, I've known them for over 10, probably like 12 years, at least 13 years. And then, you know, I met Chris when he shortly after he started stand up. And even seeing Chris within, like, see, seeing him do a 10 minute set, especially back then, you could just see his, you could see a show in his stand up. And those guys took notice to that and, you know, they made it happen. And, and then Chris, uh, worked his ass off to make sure that the show felt authentic. And even his sister was, did the wardrobe on our show. So it was down to the detail, you know, everything. And so, yeah, but the, the, the writing's like super clever. It's fun. It's like, uh, yeah, I just, I, I love it. <laughs> you know what I was watching? Oh, go ahead, Sue. One thing I wanted to ask you, because you were talking about how the writers let you kind of go off and do your thing. There was a scene mm. where you were trying to pick up a bunch of women, like one after another, after another, <laughs> yeah, yeah. after another. How much of that was you and improv? Cause oh, it really, man. it looked like it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. It, that was, it was fun to do that. Cause, you know, obviously like nowadays, you know, I was kind of able to get away with things cause I was playing a character, but it was like, you know, cat calling is not the most popular thing anymore. <laughs> so yeah, it was fun. I would say I, I, at least half of it, if not more. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Those, those guys, you know, knew who they were writing for. We've no, we were homies, you know, so they were just throwing me alley oops, you know, but I would always tag it up, switch it up and. You know, I'll say about half of those are just coming off top in, in the in the scene. You know, it, it was it was it's was, it's was fun, man. You know, and the directors always give me my takes. They're like, "All right, Frankie, we got that. This one's for you. Go do your thing." And then I'll just get loose with it. And then in the editing, sometimes they'll piece the both together. You know, and just make it flow. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. worked out. Worked out great. So you did an episode of one of my favorite shows, What We Do in the Shadows, which is oh, like nice. the weirdest, you know, like behind the scenes vampire. We've had Harvey Guillen on the show who plays Guillermo and Mark oh, Crox. Love who that plays, dude. Uh, Colin Robinson. Uh, what's that thing like behind the scenes? Uh, creatively, what's it like behind oh, the scenes? Dude, it is my, it, it was the coolest 
set I've ever been on for sure. <laughs> it was like just Disneyland Haunted Mansion, like on crack, you know, just like, <laughs> you know, and they, they shoot it, they shoot it in Toronto, you know, and uh, they just, it, it's like a, you know, like when you, they say a comics comic, like this, this show is like, like for us, you know, it's just like, it was just like, um, I didn't even know that they knew who I was. I just thought like, because it, it was like real quick. They were, they asked, they asked me, I didn't know they knew who I was. They were just like, they just want you to do, read this line real quick on your cell phone. Like they didn't want me to go in for an audition, nothing like not even a Zoom call. And I was like, are you sure? They're like, yeah, yeah. And then like two hours later, they hit me back. All right, you got the part. And so I was like, okay. Wait a minute. You just went into your cell phone and you left yourself like a voice memo and sent it to them? No, no. Or, it was like, or a, you like video. a video. Yeah. Oh, okay. But they wanted it real quick. And so I was like, and then they hit me back like, okay, cool. Here, here, here's the, the dates that they're checking for. But I go up there and it was like, you know, Paul Sims is, is one of the guys up there. He, he did girls in Atlanta and he's got his, he's got the Midas touch, you know? And then, and so, uh, he, I, the first night I get there, they're like, Oh, if you want to go up to Paul's office and then I meet him and he's like, Oh man, we're always quoting your videos that I was like, dude, I was like so pumped that they knew who I was. And I'm like, Oh, that's how I got the part. They just, you know, they, they're fans of my work, which I was like super humbled by. And then Kyle knew a chick who was the, the director. Um, you know, I'm like knowing my lines and I'm going line for line. And then he like pulls me aside, like one-on-one -on -one, and he's like, Hey man, like, thank you for knowing the lines, but let's just do your thing. You know, this, this, this improv, you know, you get what it is. And I'm like, all right, cool. So it was just, most of that show is just all improv, you know? So it was like super fun. And then, uh, it's just a well-oiled machine that they just got going, man. That's where they're getting picked up for multiple seasons and I'm going back, baby. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You're Guillermo's oh, brother, right? Yeah, yeah. And Guillermo, oh man, he couldn't be a nicer guy. It was like, I remember we were talking about like Mexican hot chocolate one day just on the set. And then like, it was that night or something. He gets it. He pays for like a truck to come and deliver us Mexican hot chocolate. Like it, I was like, hey, I don't know how they had this in Toronto, but he just like a, a sweetheart of a guy, man, and, and a great actor. And just everybody on that set was, was, was cool. And just the, the visual part of it is just like, oh my God, the work that goes into that, it's crazy. It's like a full on construction team, the wardrobe thing. It's, it's crazy, man. It's just, it's so dope. <laughs> uh, so you've got a comedy alter ego. Uh, it is, uh, it's Creeper, who is a fitness guy with a program called Cholo Fit. Um, what, yeah. where did this spring from? That's right, homie. Cholo fish, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's pretty much it's, it's, to, you know, make it a, a, put it in simple terms is, but it's based off my dad, you know, my, my dad was an old school Cholo. And then, uh, like I said, he always had a low rider, always Chuck Taylor's Dickies, but seriously, one of the most positive people that I know, you know, just like always like, Hey, mijo, like lead with gratitude, treat people with respect and handle your business. All right. I'm like, all right, okay, okay, dad, that's what's up. You know? And then, um, you know, he always had the three flowers pomade to this day. And he has the palm comb, which is like a classic Cholo thing. He, right. You know, right. The first thing he does when he gets in his car is like starts the engine, pulls his palm comb from the visor and there's, you know, boom. And, um, so I, so I, we did a video called Cholo whisper years ago. And, um, 
that got like a like you know half a million hits or something. Did did good, and you know, especially at that time, I was busting tables and stuff like that. I was like, oh man, I made a video that got, and uh, it's what, Creeper got rescued from the CRS, which is a Cholo Rescue Services, uh, by a family, <laughs> and uh, the family was having trouble with him because you know he just got out and stuff like that, and so they called in the Cholo Whisperer to help out, and so people were like, oh, you got to make a se- <laughs> sequel to that. So I was like, all right, well, what is he gonna do? He's gonna have trouble getting a job. And he was already kind of doing some yard workouts in the backyard and Cholo Whisper. And so I was like, oh, I know he could teach a workout class. And uh, we just did that. Most of it was improv. Like we had the bullet points down and we put out the first Cholo Fit video and we posted it. And I thought it was funny uh, for sure. You know, I was like, oh, this is funny. But I didn't know. I mean, it was literally like that. Like I woke up the next day and all my inboxes were full. The, The video was just spreading like wildfire. I was getting messages from like, uh, I remember these two guys in Australia. They don't even know what a cholo is, but they embraced the they embraced the character for whatever reason, you know. And they sent me a a picture with them two doing a cholo squat, and then their baby Joey, their baby kangaroo, in the middle of them, like he looked like he was doing a squat. And they're like, <laughs> you know, cholo fit, mate, cholo fit. You know, much love to creeper. Right, that's a terrible accent, but you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's great. So, and uh, Creeper's got like merchandising, right? Like he's got uh, Creeper Chardonnay, Chardonnay. What what other products does? Uh, yeah. Yeah, does man. We got, yeah. He makes wine. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the Creeper Cab and then, and then the Creeper Chardonnay, my mother's <laughs> favorite. And uh, yeah, I was, that, that was so funny because it was a friend of mine. Was like, hey, man, you want to try to sell some wine? I was like, I don't know if people are going to buy wine for me. And then we put it out and it just, it sold, man. So I was like, oh, dude, I guess I'm making wine now, homie. That's what's up, you know? <laughs> so, so is it, in, so, so is it in stores? Yeah. Is, is it, it in, in stores? stores? Can you buy it? Uh, it's uh, it's online. They have a uh, yeah. They'll they'll ship uh, uh, domestically. Um, it's just creep creep creeperwine dot com, homie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> creeperwine dot com. And and I have to ask you: Is it does it does it really taste good? I mean, is it really yes. good? Yeah, that was important to me and uh, to my to my buddy of mine. We we were actually in a a, a bad accident on Highway One out here uh, years ago, like uh, the summer after we graduated high school. And um, you know, he was a he was a big guy. And uh, they had to airlift us and all kinds of stuff. It, it was a bad accident. And so we had that. We were like bonded over that. And we hadn't seen each other in a while. But he he went ended up going to Cal Poly up in San Luis Obispo. And he got his, you know, he got all into that. Like, you know, the the winemaking business and stuff like that. So he was doing it forever. So it, he was like, dude, we got to make something good. Because, you know, I, I guess the wine industry kind of rolls their eyes at influencer wines, you know. And so <laughs> usually it's just <laughs> water and grapes and they put their name on it, you know. So... I went up there and we were tasting and it was important to him that it was good. And and so, yeah, it, pe- people like always comment on it. They're like, oh, it's actually good. Like I was just buying it for the bottle. But yeah, and I'm like, yeah, man, drink it up. I'll be- <laughs> so when you're doing your stand up, do you say all of a sudden, OK, now it's creeper time or how do, how does that transition go? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do I do about three or four characters in, in a show, you know, like I'll if I'm working, trying to develop a character, I'll come up like cold open like and then and I'll have the like house guy be like, oh, it's Frankie's cousin's going to come up and say a few words before the show starts. And then I'll go up there and do like five minutes if I'm trying to flush out a character. Then I'll bring up the host. The host comes up. Then I'll bring out like Pachanga, which is like this party dude. And uh, yeah, I have like these. I used to dance ballet folklorico for like 10 years when I was younger, which is like um uh, Mexican folk dancing. So I have my boots with like the nails underneath. They still fit me because I'm a little homie, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'll get up there and bam, like do these dance moves and like a little thing. And then, uh, and then I, and then I come and then I do uh, myself 
for like 20 minutes and I do a Juanita Carmelita JC, which is like inspired by my mother. And uh, it's like the spicy Latina and then a creeper comes up and closes out. So I have my openers that fill in those times in between, you know, they'll do like a little five, six minutes and I kind of got it down where I could change pretty quick. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I'll I just, yeah. change. So does your mom it. like the character that's based on her? Yeah, yeah, she's cool. Sometimes she get like, I don't say like that, you know, I'm not I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you do, mom. She's like, okay, maybe a little bit, but tone it down, you know, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> so yeah. you've got a, uh, you got a podcast that's doing really well. What kind of stuff do you do on the show? Uh, yeah, I'm, I do a lot of, uh, uh, sketch, sketch work. Uh, you know, we do, we do sprinkle in some interviews, uh, but mostly it's like, it's kind of like a, it was, I always wanted to do that. And then when, you know, Will Ferrell, uh, you know, kind of his company reached out and then he was like, I w- that was like a, I was like jumping up and down for like a week after I got that call. Cause he was just like, oh man, I love your characters. How specific they are. It's so funny. And, and this needs to get out there more, all that stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's Will Ferrell telling me this. And it's like, so, and I was, uh, you know, I grew up listening to Cheech and Chong tapes, Adam Sandler CDs, uh, you know, the Jerky Boys, even though that doesn't hold up these days, but, <laughs> but, but uh, th- those are also fun to me listening growing up. So um, it's a lot of work because all the, you know, you got to go do the sound effects and this and that, but we do scripted, I do scripted stuff, characters, uh, voices, and then, uh, and then we sprinkle in uh, interviews that I'll do with, you know, some of my friends or my peers or whoever I can get in there to mess around with me and, I'll either interview as myself or in character as Creeper or, or JC, like, and then just ha- I try to have fun with it. Yeah. So uh, cool. Will's a gr- Will's a great guy, isn't he? He's fantastic. Oh man, yeah. He's, I was yeah, at, he just, uh, I was he's one of the co-owners of LAFC, the soccer team. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. So I got to go out there and hang out on the field one day, and Will came. I work for ESPN Radio, and Will came yeah. up to me and said aren't you Steve Mason? I'm like, no, you're Will Ferrell. Are you kidding me? You're Will Ferrell. And then on the way off the field, uh, my mom was down on the field that night and uh, Will Ferrell said, I hear you talked about on the radio all the time. You're Donna. I was like, Hmm. oh my God, you just made my mom's life. That was the craziest thing ever. But what a, what a great guy he is. Oh man. So cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, he's just an, an honor to be around, you know? It's just a good energy. You're just like, oh, man, so talented and so cool. Because sometimes in this industry, it's hard to meet people like that, you know? And when you meet somebody that's that big, that famous, that talented, and he's just a chill-ass, you know, positive dude, it's like, yes, that's that's my people. <laughs> okay, so what's the best best Will Ferrell movie? Oh, man. It's oh, so really many. hard, really hard. Man, I was, you know, I really love Step Brothers. I love Ta- yep. Talladega Nights. Uh, oh, man. I don't know. No Anchorman? <laughs> no love for of, Anchorman? Of course. Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All oh, of man. us who work in broadcasting think Anchorman is like the funniest. I mean, we quote yeah. that, that. Although I, my favorite quote from Talladega Nights was when the little kid who's jacked up on Dr. Pepper or whatever the hell says to his grandmother, I'm going to come at you like a spider monkey. I'm like (laughs) such funny, funny stuff uh, that Will Ferrell has been part of. So, and the podcasts are great too, because you don't, uh, you don't have to worry about commercials. You don't have to worry about any sort of structure. You kind of get to do your own thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, man. I mean, you know, we make the episodes, we send them off to Will's people to, to, you know, kind of approve or give notes, but, uh, now that we're in the second season of it, you know, the Frankie Quinones show, it's like, uh, 
it's 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 getting you know that that process is getting easier and easier and it's just you know becoming now that you fine tuning everything and just it's kind of becoming a a, a well oiled machine so it's been it's getting more fun and more fun yeah <laughs> so speaking of Will Ferrell uh, Fred Armisen is a executive producer on yeah. your show so how much input does he have Oh yeah yeah he he he's in there man he's a uh, you know he just kind of reads over stuff and then he'll same same kind of process gives little notes and stuff like that but he's super excited the way everything came out everybody's like you know the reviews and then you know he was just saying that he was on you know he's on the set of Barry uh mm-hmm. the, the show Bill Hader show and he's like dude everybody on this set is talking about this for and we're just like what dude? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, even Bill Hader, I had a chance to 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 talk with him, and he's just like so complimentary. And then he's like, "Yeah," and then I and then I found all your cholo fit stuff, and I love it, it's so funny. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm like just fanboying out, but trying to hold it together, just like, oh, thank you, thank you very much. But I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's great. So it's well, so you, cool when you get love like that from your peers or people you look up to. You know, it's like, yeah. Sorry, well, now guys. that you've got uh, this fool, you'll have your uh, your own fanboys out there, people who love the show and uh, and totally dig the character. Uh, the full season of this fool is now streaming on Hulu. The podcast is the Frankie Quinones show. Uh, you're touring now. You're on the comedy circuit. We'll keep an eye out for that. Frankie, thank you very much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, thank you, Sue. Thank you, Steve. Uh, it was funny. I was like, wait, is that the Steve? Because you used to do the. Lakers like pregame. I did the Lakers pregame for a long yeah, time. Yeah, dude, I was yeah. like, is that the same dude? I was like, yep, it sure is. All right, yeah, well, it's, Laker, it's Lakers <laughs> opening night, by the way, as we're talking about it. Yeah, Lakers opening tonight, tonight at uh, at home against uh, against the uh, Clippers. So we'll, oh, yeah. we'll find out how we're going to be this year. Hey, yeah. Frankie, thanks, uh-huh. man. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. Frankie. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Steve. There you have it. There's Frankie, and that show is just. I mean, it just makes me laugh. And it is such a specific world, uh, one that I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about the the world of, you know, ex-gang members and hugs for thugs and all the stuff they've got going mm-hmm. on there. But it's just so good. And that that word is specific, which I really like. You said Will Smith or Will uh, Ferrell considers his characters to be very specific. Specific mm-hmm. is a really good way to describe that show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, he's this like charming kind of buffoonish, like uh, ex-ganger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's such a uh, it's such a unique take on uh, a, a on a specific um, type of person. You know, um, that's what I love about it. It's really, really unique. Well, it, let me just say you can hear my dogs barking in the background i think that's sophie barking and i think there's a dash of fredo in there but i think it's mostly sophie oh um, i don't hear it okay good they they just quit i turned my mic off for a second but our, oh, our, okay. our dogs are always around and you know do your you've got uh tucker mm-hmm. um your dog is how old he's 15 and three quarters 15 three quarters yeah <laughs> sophie's 16 now, does your dog have a voice? Like when you and Tom are around the house, does your dog ever speak? Do you guys have voices for your dogs? We do not. I know you do, but but yeah. I we do not. Could you no. develop one? Could you workshop one? Could no. you and Tom spitball and come up with one? No. Because we don't Sophie do that. would love somebody to talk to, and so would Fredo. I don't know. She's gonna have to. You're gonna have to audition dogs. No, Sue. Sue, why doesn't Tucker speak to us? 
No, it's not Tucker's. It's not. It's 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 not. It's not, not his bag. Thing. It's not that it's his bag. It's not Tom and, and <laughs> my bag. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't blame it on Tucker. <laughs> it's not Tucker's fault. <laughs> All right, There's nothing though. to do with Tucker. There you have it. There is the Culture Pop Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast. We appreciate that. Leave us a rating and review. We're on Spotify and on Apple and at stevemason.com. Uh, Sue, thank you very much. And we'll see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.